Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and ask that once again you would superintend our time together and we would learn from your word and be encouraged and challenged by it. We ask for your strength. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6, if you would. And we are continuing in our kind of series here. I really didn't even realize it was until started taking the same theme, overriding theme to several passages as praying about what to preach on Thursday nights. And this is actually the sixth sermon in the series of hard passages or difficult passages in the Bible. And as we work our way through... Uh, tonight, we're going to find illustrated in, in very uh, uh, plain and, and simple speech part of the reasons why we have so many problems in, uh, in our world today when it comes to understanding the Bible. How many of you remember back before you got saved, the Bible was a very complicated book and it didn't make any sense at all? And then you got uh, listening to the message of salvation, and all of a sudden, wow, that's simple. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the only Savior. There are no other choices. It's not in a church. It's not in things I can do. It is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you trusted Jesus as your Savior. And then you know what you found out? Baptism is pretty simple, isn't it? Being a member of a church is pretty simple. Reading your Bible is pretty simple. You don't understand everything in it, but reading your Bible is is not a complicated task. And, And in case you need any help... Yeah, yeah, here. How many of you still need one of these? Uh, We'll get you one, see Andrew or Hannah after the service. You guys know where they are, right? Uh, They will get you one. They are free. The only thing we ask you to do is use it for more than a calendar. Amen? Uh, It is a calendar. You can write things in it. You can uh, put appointments if you want. Or just record some blessings that God gave you when you read your Bible. That might be a good thing is use it as a prayer calendar. And and uh, when God answered some prayers, I mean, we prayed a lot for Miss Ann that they would find a place. She was kind of just stuck there in the hospital. And all of a sudden, boom, uh, the Lord has uh, provided. We hate to see her go, but and but uh, just uh, continue to pray for her if you would. But uh, especially... Graduation week being at Heartland, I, I have been reminded uh, of, of all of the uh, things there, and I'm trying to start my uh, class again. And uh, I've gotten through three lessons. I'm, I'm working on the fourth one, so just just pray that I keep moving there. And uh, but let me just give you some things that if you've read any commentaries or Listen to, quote-unquote, people try to uh, 
understand, uh, try to teach, what they'll often say is it starts something like this. Oh, this is a difficult passage. Uh, there is no clear consensus on the meaning of these words. And sometimes they'll attack the text and say, well, the original text has been marred and, and, and changed over the centuries. And uh, they like to use big words like interpolated. And uh, uh, that's not interpreted. That means that they've taken different things and added to the text and taken things out. That's why you hear... People using quotes like, oh, Jesus quoted from the Septuagint, which would have been very difficult to do because it didn't exist until hundreds of years after Jesus uh, was alive on earth. And why would the Jewish God in the flesh quote a Greek translation of his scriptures that didn't exist. Does that make sense to anyone? If you're a scholar, it makes perfect sense. You know why? Because if it's not complicated, you don't need scholars. Um, by the way, you'll find this same terminology and these same thoughts running in parallel with what goes on with our Bible and understanding our Bible in the realm of science. Have you ever heard someone try to explain global warming? How complex it is and how that we cannot hear and understand this, but we, we see that things are warming up. Can I give you a simple answer? It's called the sun. And it warms things up. And if it didn't, we'd all be dead. Uh, uh, I mean, and you have to understand that everything that is today was not a thousand years ago. Has anyone ever figured out why they call Greenland, Greenland? when it's covered with 130 feet of ice. Well, it's because it used to be green. And in order for it to be green, it had to be warmer about the turn of the last millennia from 900 to 1,000. People were supposed to know this. the, The earth was the warmest that we understand in all of history. Uh, unless you believe the fake asteroid story that happened and killed all the dinosaurs. But uh, the simple thing is, people have all of these things. And, and it's, this is not a new problem. By the way, it's in politics. How do you like the smartest person in the road, uh, room trying to explain something to you? How many of you remember, you can't know what's in the bill until you vote for it. Does anybody remember that? That's how we got health care. How's that working for you? I'll tell you what, I'm wishing for the old system to come back as bad as it was. It certainly isn't bad as what we got. Uh, And uh, the national debt has passed $20 trillion. 
See, we had a president that said, the way you get out of debt is you spend more money. How many of you remember that one? Don't try that at home. Uh, the bankruptcy judge will not smile at you if you tell them, I, I listened to the president and I just kept spending because he said if we spent more money, I'd get out of debt. Uh, do you think he would? Do you think any honest judge or even a dishonest one would accept that kind of drivel from a person standing in front of the court? No, he'd throw the, the book at you, as they say. But you see... In, in our text, let's, let's just skip down to verse 59, if you would. John chapter 6. These things said he, talking about Jesus, in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Here's what they said in response to the teaching of Jesus. Last part of verse 60. This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Now, how many of you said that when you were in algebra class? This is a hard saying. Who, who can hear it? I don't understand what the teacher is asking for. Uh, and this is what they were saying to Jesus. And we, what I want to do tonight is go through this chapter. And, and we want to find out how these disciples of Jesus ended up at a place where they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? If you read down to verse 66, it says, Many of his disciples went away from him and followed him no more. Uh, that's, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Uh, what they were saying is, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. And we don't want to know what you're talking about. I mean, there have been times where I find myself in that same situation. I mean, usually during, uh, uh, well, all the way through the health care debate, that's where I was. This, this is insanity. Who, who can put up with this stuff? It will harm our nation. And it has. And it's going to continue doing so. But let's start in verse 1 of chapter 6. And let's set the context. This is the feeding of the 5,000. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was not. So, it's coming on the Passover time, and even to this day in New York City, as Passover draws near, what do you see happening in all the stores? 
the Kadim grape juice gets set out in huge display. Matzah bread in every type of variety is put on the shelves and and uh, all of the different little Jewish things because there are a lot of Jewish people in New York City and the uh, retailers uh, understand this and they're going to provide for that because they sell these things. And uh, nothing wrong with that. It, the Passover was getting close and so Jesus travels across the lake of the Sea of Galilee there about five miles wide and and a great multitude of people follow him because of the miracles that he has done and he sits down and he teaches them. And at the end of the day, uh, as as it's drawing toward, he looks at his disciples and he tells Philip, how are we going to feed everybody? And Philip is having a heart attack here and trying to figure out what he's going to do. Verse 6 says, And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So, again, let's put that in context. A penny was a day's wages. If you work, uh, uh, helper work, I, I don't know what the current rate is, but a few years ago it was $100 a day. So a penny would be equal to $100 a day. So you take 200 times 100 and you get a pretty decent amount of money here. Uh, 200 days wages. You, you figure it out. And, and Philip says that if I had 200 days wages, that would be in our day and time, 10 months work. Almost a year's salary. Could you feed 10,000 people with that kind of money? Well, probably not at a New York caterer, but you could, you could get a good start on it. Philip said that, that would give us enough to give everybody at least something. And then Andrew shows up with a little boy's lunch. And Jesus prays and he breaks up those few fishes and crackers and the disciples begin passing it out. And before it's all said and done, 5,000 men plus women and children eat. From one little boy's lunch. Now, who's the, the, they say there is no such thing as a free lunch. But this comes pretty close. I mean, the little boy gave up his lunch. But I am sure that he was one of the first in line to get the part of that lunch uh, brought back to him. I, I wonder if he ate more than he brought in his lunch. Uh, I, I don't know every little boy, but my little boys, if, if they have opportunity, they will eat what you give them. And if you give them more, they will eat more. And if you give them more, they'll just eat a little more. Uh, and, and so they had 12 baskets left over. And Jesus then takes the disciples and he puts them in the ship. And they go rowing across the Sea of Galilee after dark and only get halfway across. And Jesus comes walking on the water to scare the living daylights out of them. Don't you just love the Lord? You see, it's Mark chapter 6 and verse 52 says, 
For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You know what Jesus was doing here? If you want to understand the overriding theme of John chapter 6, Jesus is putting on display, he is putting the spotlight of God's holiness on unbelief. The unbelief of the disciples. Why did Jesus treat them that way? Why did he force them to get into the ship knowing that in the middle of the night he was coming out there and going to scare the living daylights out of those guys? Because they needed it. They, their hearts were hardened. Do you remember why their hearts were hardened? They had just found out that John the Baptist had been murdered by the wicked Herod. They had... Uh, been coming and going and didn't hardly have time to eat. And Jesus says, let's take a little break. And they end up feeding the 5,000. That doesn't sound like much of a break to me. And then they get in the boat and they row. But Jesus had to get them to the end of themselves so that they would understand who Jesus really is. How many of you have ever been worn out by God? So that he could get your attention. That, that's what Jesus was doing here. How about all the people? They came over in little ships the next day and came seeking for Jesus. And Jesus' answer to them was, you don't, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracles. You're not seeking me because you believe who I am. You're seeking me because you're looking for a God that will meet all your needs. Could we make a small application here? Joel Olstein. He preaches a God that does not judge your sin and all he does is enhance your life. You need to get in touch with your inner champion. Uh, I'll tell you what, you don't have an inner champion. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what the Bible says. Uh, But we have many religions out there that are there to solve all your problems and to make you feel wonderful and to meet every need. And uh, it's amazing. You go into the poorest neighborhoods. And you will see these great big old movie theaters, many of them converted into churches, and it will say, Deliverance on the top. Now, you know what that means? The deliverance movement is what we often call a working definition, the name it and claim it people. You want a brand new car, you tell God to give you one, and that's the kind of preaching that is done in many of those neighborhoods. Also, I wonder why they sell so many lottery tickets in our poorest neighborhoods. You know why? Because people want a God who will solve their problems. If the church doesn't work, well, then maybe the God of the lottery will smile upon them. And uh, you study the history of people who've won those Multi-million dollar jackpots. I remember the story of the man who was homeless and he took his last dollar and bought a lottery ticket and won like 
$170 million and he was dead in four years or five years. It, it didn't take him long. You see, those aren't the answers. God is not here as a life enhancement supplement. Uh, he's not here to solve your problems. Will God solve your problems if you trust Him? Well, we'll get to that. He's the only solution. But that is not the end of God's work. The end game, the end goal of God's work is to use your life to bring glory to His name. That's what God wants to do. Now, most of us, if we could be honest about that, our first statement ought to be, God's got a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I need some fixing before He can use me. It was like a preacher I knew here in the city many years ago. I was just visiting the city, and he was assistant pastor in a church, and they stole his car during the meeting. And he came in on Monday night of the meeting, and he said, Please pray for me. They stole my car. And so, of course, we prayed for him. He came back at the end of the meeting. He said, you won't believe it. I got my car back. He said, whoever stole it had to fix it. And it runs better than it ever has. Now, that's the way God does with a real story. That, that is the way God works in our lives. Can we say, I identify with that statement. I resemble that remark. Uh, that, that is the truth, but that is not what people were seeing here. You see, let's go down to verse 26 here. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? One of the greatest questions that's ever been asked. That is the right question. And they were asking the right person the right question. Are we agreed on that? So why, when they get to the end of the chapter, do they say, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Well, look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Verse 36. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. You see... They had already made up their mind. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with the little boy's lunch. They had seen all the miracles that he had done, the many hundreds and hundreds of people that he had healed. That's why they followed him into the desert. That's why they got to enjoy the meal. They were in uh, going through that, listening to his teaching. But they had already refused to do what God had asked. Go through the pages of the Bible. 
How many sick people did Moses heal? Now, Moses actually made an awful lot of people sick with the lice and the flies and the frogs and the boils and the death of the firstborn. I mean, those are some pretty serious things. But Moses, uh, the only people that Moses was kind of responsible for healing was the ones that were bitten with the snakes and the brazen serpent. Uh, that, those, that's the only healing I know that Moses did. Now, now, Moses told them about manna, but God was the one that sent the manna down from heaven every day for 40 years. Uh, you see, Jesus had already done more works than all of the other prophets in the history of Israel combined. And they still did not believe. I want you to understand, that's why when we get to the end of this chapter, these same people are saying, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? I'm done listening to this man. Now, all Jesus was doing was he was using symbolism to teach truth. Okay, let's, let's look at some of that symbolism that is here in verse uh, 27, he says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath, the God, hath God the Father sealed. So Jesus is using the word meat, that means food. It's not talking about uh, the flesh of animals necessarily. The word meat simply it was a generic word that meant food that you eat. And so Jesus says, don't labor for the food that you put in your mouth. He said, I want you to labor for that food that works to eternal life. Now, how many of you have a problem understanding that Jesus wasn't talking about literal food that you literally put in your mouth in this verse? Has any, anybody got a problem with that? Now, that's that's pretty simple. Do you understand that, Joey? Does that make sense to you? Well, it didn't make sense to these men. You see, this was the beginning of the conversation. Jesus was explaining from the very outgo of this conversation that he wasn't talking about physical food that you hold in your physical hand and put into your physical mouth. He was talking about food that worked to eternal life. That's why he's going to say some of the things that might seem outrageous if you take them out of context later in this passage. Let's, Let's move down to verse 33, if you would. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now... Let's, let's look at it again. It says, for the bread of God is he. Now, how can he be talking about physical bread if that physical, if that bread he's talking about is a he? Are, are we still together? I'm not trying to be tedious because I, I want you to know there are entire denominations of faith 
that refuse to believe that this passage is not talking about physical bread. If you were ever part of the Roman Catholic or the Orthodox churches, they say they're going to John chapter 6 to, for the doctrine of the Mass. It's called transubstantiation, which means that when the priest says the prayer over the, uh, the wafer and the wine or the bread and the wine, that it's transformed into the very flesh and body of Jesus Christ. And where they're going to get that is we're going to get down to it here in a few verses. But let's, let's again read what Jesus is saying here in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Do you, do you get this? Okay, if you want your hunger satisfied, come to Jesus. If you want your thirst satisfied, believe on Jesus. Again, what's the entire passage here? It's about Jesus, not about church, not about anything else. And Jesus said, uh, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. And then uh, let's uh, skip down to, um, uh, oh, uh 38 here, and it says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now look at verse uh, 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now Jesus is going to do something here that most people are, are not going to get and I I don't endorse just simply doing this for the purpose of irritating your audience uh, but Jesus was now going to take their misunderstanding uh, I guess we have a phrase rub salt in the wound uh, when it rains it pours uh, if you if you want stupid rent a dump truck right I mean this is this is what Jesus is going to do. To the crowd here. This is why we're going to end up in verse 60 with people saying, this is a hard saying, but let me just pick up one more verse before we move completely to that point. Jesus is using symbolism to teach a truth. And if you have any question about that, verse 63 says, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. When Jesus gets through this entire uh, dialogue here, this entire teaching passage here, he, he sums it up by saying, what I'm talking to you about is spiritual things. There is nothing in the physical realm that is going to profit unto eternal life. Eternal life comes from the spiritual realm. I am using something that we're all familiar with. Eating, drinking, and I'm trying to teach that there must be a relationship between you and God, similar and on a spiritual plane that is equal to the relationship on the physical plane. You are what you eat. 
I always like to remind my children that. Uh, the other day, Jason comes up with one of them lollipops. And I said, remember, you are what you eat. How many of you know what it says on the wrapper of the lollipop? Dum-dum. You ever seen those little dum-dum lollipops? And, and uh, of course, I, I really like nuts. Uh, you are what you eat. Amen? Uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is, you really are what you eat. You eat, it assimilates, it becomes part of you. If you eat junk food and, and, and food void of good calories and protein and all of those vitamins and things that you need, you're, you're going to be weak. You're going to be sickly. And if you have the wrong spiritual relationship with the wrong God, it's not going to work out to eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. But now we're going to get to where he starts pouring it on. Jesus is purposefully provoking his audience. And so we come down here and verse... uh, um, oops, I'm sorry, flip the page here. There we go. And um, there we go. Sorry. And so let's come back here in verse 42. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you know what Jesus was telling these learned, Bible-studying Jewish people? You do not have the eternal life that you claim to have. That's what Jesus was telling them. In fact, he was telling them, unless you come to me, you cannot have it. It cannot be found in your tradition, in what you've given your life to. Verse 40, uh, uh, excuse me here, 48, or let's just read 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread, that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus starts out by saying, I came down from heaven. And they're going, wait a minute, we know your mother, we know your father. How can the world can you say that you came down from heaven? And now he says, listen, I am that bread of life. You must eat of me and the bread that I give you is my flesh. Look at verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, you can just see the level of confusion and, and frustration. Uh, they're, 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 they have to make some 
very hard decisions here. Either they have no clue what's going on, and Jesus is telling the truth, or Jesus has no clue what's going on. He's lost all of his sense, and they know the truth. Most of us faced with that decision would rather trust ourselves than Jesus Christ. Now, no, no one would come to church saying, well, wait a minute, that's not me. How many of you have ever been in a difficult situation where you didn't like what God was doing in your life? And who's the first one we question, ourselves or God? Hello? You see, that's why this is a hard saying. And Jesus isn't going to let up a little bit. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to raise the level of irritation even further. He's going to take it another step until it comes out and almost looks like absurdity. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, let me ask you a question. If any person but the Lord Jesus Christ had uttered these words, would we not say, he has lost his reason and is mad? Hello? And yet Jesus cannot lose his reason. He's God. He is telling the truth here. What truth is he taught? Well, he's already established that. What are the works of God? Believe on him whom God has sent. How do you eat? You come to Jesus. How do you drink? You believe on him. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If it weren't the difference between heaven and hell, if it were not the difference between eternity with Christ and eternity from Christ, it, it would be almost laughable that the one of the few passages in the Bible where Jesus is speaking figuratively, they take literally. Are, are you together with that? You understanding what I'm saying? Jesus is not talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And yet, in the Middle Ages, they burned people at the stake and tortured them to death because they refused to believe these words. Not in the biblical context, but in the human context. You see, what Jesus was doing here 
was he was putting a spotlight on unbelief. That's why the disciples had to row across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night and never get anywhere until Jesus got in the boat. That's why the next day, as they're totally exhausted and walking with Jesus, they're listening, and then he teaches in the synagogue as Passover is coming, and everyone is going out of their minds, and they say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Now, I want us to set down a little bit more groundwork even before we finish this. Jesus is reminding the people he's talking to that there is no salvation outside of him. He is telling them that they are ignorant. He tells them, listen, only the ones that God has called are going to listen to me. And the reason you're not listening to me is because you have not learned in one passage. You have not been called in another passage. You have not believed in another passage. Jesus is repeatedly hammering at these people that what you hold as doctrine is not in the Word of God. So is it hard to believe that when Jesus has finished this proclamation, this discussion, that people say, wow, that doesn't make a bit of sense to me. That, in fact, that's so crazy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ever listen to this man again. That's, that's what they were saying here. Can I challenge you? Jesus was not pleading for disciples. Oftentimes, when we talk about soul winning, it comes from a, an idea that we should go out and beg people to get saved. You know what? That Jesus never offered salvation on that platform. He offered salvation on the platform that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is the platform. Jesus just got done explaining that there is no other way to come to God but through Him. Jesus was forcing those that heard him to make a decision. He was forcing a division in the multitude that made up the people. Some were his disciples. Others just used the name. In fact, all the way through Jesus' ministry, he's gonna, he starts out with the Sermon on the Mount saying, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. He he talks repeatedly all the way through the parable of of the marriage feast, how that those that were bidden are not going to be allowed in, and that those who were compelled to come in, even some of them aren't going to be allowed to stay. And by the way, please do not misinterpret me. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in the cosmic bingo game that only allows a few people to get saved. What I believe in is what the Bible says that when man is offered a choice between his reason and God's reason, nine times out of ten, he's going to pick his reason. You see, people will give anybody the benefit of the doubt. How many of you are old enough to remember the Jim Jones-Guyana thing? 
900 people murdered. Why did they do that? Because they were willing to believe anything that that man said. And, but when they finally realized what was going on, it was too late. You weren't given a choice to drink the Kool-Aid. You either did it or they shot you. That's what really happened down there. By the time the people figured out that they had believed the lie, they couldn't get out of the trap that had been set for them by the liar, the deceiver, Jim Jones. You see, that's the way the devil works. You see, those people all said, this is a hard saying. How can I just put my trust in Jesus when it's so much easier to believe this nice young man that's standing in front of me? I'll give him my paycheck. I'll, I'll sign everything over with him. I'll travel to South America. We'll build a brand new world where there's no problems. Well, I'll tell you what, you didn't have to know Jim Jones very well to know that he had all kinds of problems. He could be diagnosed today with about every major mental disorder known to mankind. Besides being immoral, being a thief, being uh, a lot of other things. But people will listen to, uh, what's his name, Stephen Anderson. People will listen to, Louis Farrakhan has gotten himself in the news again. Uh, People will listen to these things. Why? Because they've already turned their back on Jesus. That's why. What Jesus says doesn't make any sense. My best illustrative story here is years ago I got a call from a church we'd been in in Ohio. And the lady was just wild with worry. And she said, my brother, he's, he's at the Veterans Hospital on, on First Avenue. I walked him over across Manhattan, payphone to payphone. He said he was going to commit suicide. And, and I asked him if he could see the next payphone, and he called me collect. I spent over $100. This was 25 years ago. On collect phone calls to get him into the hospital. And so she asked if I would go visit this troubled man. And so I went down there and, and, and sat down in, in the psychiatric ward there at the Veterans Hospital, which is quite a place to be, let me tell you. And uh, I, I said, your sister called me. I, I've been to her church and preached in her church and done music in her church. And she's called me to come talk to you. I said, may I talk to you about the Bible? And he looks at me with a straight face sitting at the table, and he says, you're crazy. And I just went, I I excuse me? He says, you're crazy. You believe that Bible stuff? He says, you're, you're absolutely crazy. And I was trying to be kind, but I said, you, you need to understand something, sir. I said, you see that door right there? When I knock on that door, the, the aide's going to open that door and I get to leave. I said, you can't. Now, if you want to believe that I'm crazy, 
I said, I, I, I guess there's really nothing I can do. He says, I believe you're absolutely mad. You're crazy. I said, well, we'll be praying for you whether you want us to or not. I don't want your prayers. And I, I'm sitting there going, okay, I, I know what you want. And you're not near as crazy as everybody thinks you are. You just want an attention. You're wanting somebody to spend money on you because that's the only way you can feel cared about. The world's full of people like that now, isn't it? This is a hard saying. Uh, no. I think the world is full of much more difficult lives than those who surrender to the Jesus of this book. Amen? You see, Jesus even talked to his disciples. He said, will you also go away? The disciples, they were going, what's this eating flesh and drinking blood thing? That's not in the Bible. In fact, we're not supposed to drink blood. The Bible says so. And it does. From all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, you're not supposed to eat the blood. So Jesus wasn't contradicting the Scriptures. What he was saying is, his blood shed on the cross of Calvary, sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven, has to be as much a part of my life spiritually as the food that I eat is physically. It's got to be connected. It's got to be ingrained. It's part of who I am. That's what happens when you get saved, my friend. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Amen? See, it is a hard saying. But the world's way is an awful lot harder. You ever met anybody working their way to heaven? And we're out of time. I don't want to go all... I could go all night on this sermon. But I want us to touch on one more sentence here, and then we'll be done. Skip down to the last chapter, uh, last two verses here. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. You see, in verse 60 and 66, we had people who had already made a decision that they were not going to believe in Jesus. And when Jesus gave them this hard saying, they had their excuse to leave him and go back to their tradition and go back to their own reasoning and leave the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to the disciples, Are you, will you leave also? What was Peter's answer? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter said, listen, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't understand it any better than anybody else. But we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Because there's no other place to go than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That was Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen? See how simple that is? That's not a hard saying. It's a simple one, but it's the only one that's truth. And then we have the special case of Judas. He had already made up his mind he wasn't going to believe. 
But he was going to travel along for the ride because he knew he couldn't go there with the people who stopped following Jesus. But he wasn't going to believe. Aren't you glad there was only one Judas in this crowd of 12,000? There were 11 disciples that were following Jesus, and many more of the multitude had chosen and would choose to follow Jesus. We'll have 120 of them on the day of Pentecost, and the church of Jerusalem would swell after the resurrection to a very large number of people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but the persecutors, read the book of Acts, they were still saying, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? How can he come down from heaven? How can he say that we are ignorant and we do not know God when we are the ones responsible for God? Excuse me? Did you hear what you just said? Nobody can know God unless they know what you taught. That's what the Pharisees believed. Boy, I'm glad I don't have that responsibility. How about you? All I do is give people this good book. See, hard things. But the answer is really simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have no idea what's going on in your life, would you give Jesus the benefit of the doubt? And say, I'll believe on the Lord It may be a hard saying. It may be a hard time. But I'll I'll just believe on the Lord. Amen? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. How simple is that? All God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what so many have deemed as hard words and a hard saying. And, Lord, that we would simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would understand that he is using something physical to teach us a spiritual truth and nothing more. And that there's no other place to go to have salvation. It's not in a church. It's not in works. It's not in our minds. It's not in what we feel. It's in the words of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano playing. If you need to just slip out of your seat and spend a few moments in prayer, the altar's open. If you're here tonight and you're not sure about your eternity, we would love to take the opportunity to open God's Word and answer some of those questions. But we wouldn't dare intrude into such a personal area of your life without an invitation to do so. And that's why we have a time of invitation for you to come and just simply say, show me what the Bible says.